0: Alright, welcome back to another edition of the Dabbler Cast, the podcast of Dabbler Farm. I am your host, John Larson. Um, this is our third episode, and it is the second in the series of um, the discussion of our Dabbler Values. When we established the farm, we wanted to... Uh, be clear on what we were trying to accomplish and um, what our vision was and give us a roadmap for what we're pursuing in the future. This is a I don't know I guess I'll call it a silent podcast. I'm recording the first of these episodes without really publicizing or doing any effort to find a listenership um, because I think some of these questions of what we're doing and what we're trying to um, what we're trying to be here are a little bit complicated and um I wanted to uh, have, for the person who is interested, a way to find out what it is we're really about. I think there's a lot of noise out there on the internet, a lot of um, performative actions that are really unclear about um, destination and what people are trying to accomplish. And I think it's very important that, um, that values be derived and be pursued. So, without any further ado... Uh, we're going to talk about our second value. Now if you want to check out our values, you can go to dabblerfarm.org/dabbler-values or if you go to just our website dabblerfarm.org and click the about at the top, there is a page where we discuss our, our values. And right now there's 7 of them and um there's a you know a paragraph written. I'm I'm sure over time they'll modify. Um and that's um <laughs> the joy of of modern life I guess we don't have to get locked in this is not revelation from on high so our first value we covered on the last episode was a long time frame really the idea that um, we need to look past what we're trying to do and accomplish now and look to the future so for example um, even though gas is cheap right now I think I just drove by with 315 a gallon um, here this week um, uh, so it's relatively inexpensive and inexpensive to drive around and shape your life around vehicles. Um, you know, we are assuming that that's not going to last. Now, I, I don't, I don't know when we'll reach, um, where, um, petroleum products become scarce. It might be 300 years from now. It might be 50 years from now. It might be 10 years from now. I, I, I have no way to know. But if we're looking at a longer time frame, we can start shaping our values and our utilization of resources around what we know is to come, and that's that gasoline is a um, is a non-sustainable product. It is a finite resource, and it takes million uh, over a million years, if I understand the science correctly, to um, create under very specific conditions. So once we use it up, it's 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 all gone. Um, Now, there's other forms of energy, but that's what we're dependent on. So I use that as a good segue into our value number two, um, which is sustainability. Now, sustainability is a word that gets thrown around quite often. So it's become like a buzzword. And when that happens, sometimes you don't even know what anybody's talking about. Um, And there's a lot of things that claim um, sustainability, um, even if they are just um, using a potentially sustainable material. Um, You know, for example, pine is a sustainable building material. It absolutely is. Pine grows fast. It's strong. We have built the world on two by fours, and it's been a great boon for us. We can manage forests in ways that makes it completely sustainable, but we can also log and harvest those things in ways that are not sustainable. And sometimes it's not sustainable in an externalized cost. There might be um, um, sections of forest that uh, the the, the loggers are, are, you know, growing trees at a rate that they can then harvest them and then, um, you know, replant them. But they're not necessarily sustaining the ecosystem that those trees would have supported. So there can be externalities. In terms of sustainability, you can say, "Yeah, yeah, I, uh, we, we are a sustainable logging operation. We're not cutting down any new trees. The, the trees we're cutting down now we planted 30 years ago, and on and on and on." Meanwhile, there is um, uh, destruction happening to um, other habitat of animals or of waterways or pollution in the air or 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 or. And um, so sustainability is kind of hard to measure because it's, it's, uh, it's spread out. For fun, um, a, a day or so ago, I went on to one of those big box home improvement store websites, and I just entered the term sustainability to see what came up. And, you know, uh, the first thing that came up was a bunch of cleaning products and chemicals, basically, that were all claiming to be sustainable. But, um, you know, to illustrate my point, they all came in plastic bottles, um, and they were all packaged somewhere in some factory that, of course, is burning energy, most likely coming from either coal or natural gas or, you know, um, or being moved around in trucks and, and whatever on um, diesel engines and, um, you know. Um, there's a process to create the bottles and to ship the bottles and to put the product into the bottles, then make the bottles out to the big box store where it's bought and used, and then the bottles tossed um, in, into the into the landfill. And anyway, I think you're getting the, the picture. So even a lot of the products out there that we might um, use and choose because they're sustainable are encased in this unsustainable uh, methodology of distribution and packaging and, and everything else. So it's a really complicated. Um, uh, problem I mentioned just a second ago: negative externalities. Um, negative externalities basically are are um, especially when we talk about economics or um, you know growth of capital are are costs that you can externalize and that you don't have to bear as say the owner of the factory, um, but that will negatively impact something else. For example, one of the huge negative externalities we have in our uh, in, in America right now is the maintenance of the the highway system of the roads. You know, there's roads just everywhere. I I've often i wondered if a future uh, people digging up archaeologically our society won't won't call us the road builders because we just build roads and roads and roads, and um, you know lay them out with. Uh, with the asphalt and, and tar and all that kind of stuff, but anyway, um, so, so running um, the big diesel um, trucks, you know, um, uh, shipping products from one place to the other, we moved away from using the railroad as our principal means of shipping to using trucks because they're they're just a little bit more efficient, and but they wear out the roads faster than than any anything else. So you could drive your car. Um, you know, on those highways and dry and, and do it forever, but you know when you have giant um, corporations and I don't need to name them. Um, you you know who a lot of them are that are running just tens of thousands of tr- of of trucks of 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 of, um, of material around all the time. They're wearing out those roads, but the cost of maintaining those roads goes to the, the citizenry. So it's either your federal tax or your local state tax that's being used to do those. We're not charging, um, per se, those people who are using it most. Now, that's a deal that, that society's made, saying, well, it's worth it to have a big box store in town where I can get everything that I need. Um, so we're willing to pay those taxes. But, you know, the, the problem is you can get companies... Oh take advantage of those uh, negative externalities. Find a margin, a place where they can make a profit. and then when the cost comes due, they they dissolve. Um, this is this has been a huge problem in like mining for the last, I don't know, two hundred years, probably longer that you know, you can run um, this boom cycle mine and extract lots of wealth for the shareholders and for the runners and operators of the company. Um, and then when the mine is no longer profitable the company just goes bust and you might have um, you know radioactive tailings or polluted waterways or you know messed up ecosystems that are just left um, to to the people to try to figure out a way to, to resolve so in a lot of ways in my view negative externalities are the Achilles heel of our capitalistic system. Because it's, if, you're, if your goal is to increase value, increase profits for shareholders, then you're highly motivated to externalize costs and not clean up after yourself. And, and so and a lot of these are accumulated effects that are slow um, and take a long time to prove and they'll be litigated for decades. And, uh, but we've, we've seen them play out. The loss of species, the loss of environment, the um, polluting of water, polluting of air, um, depletion of, of topsoil. In in fact, the Dust Bowl, you know, famously happened after after the the de- Depression. Um, if if you read um, I, I, an accessible book, is um, uh, came out a few years ago called uh, White Trash. It was the uh, it's the history of um, of poverty basically in in the united states and um one of the principal causes of the dust bowl was that you had a lot of the farmland that was owned by um you know a land-owning class they weren't necessarily working it and there were tenant farmers which has been basically the model we've used for all of humanity and um, there was just not a lot of interest in maintaining the topsoil. And when these um, you know, these storms and these winds came, it just started blowing tons of this topsoil that had not been maintained for various reasons. So it was um, due, in large part, to this capitalistic trend to try to get as much money out of the tenant farmers as possible. And then, of course, the tenant farmers didn't necessarily have motivation or the resources to save the farmland. Um good news on that we were able to um come back from that to a degree but we're running into the same problems again today um because it's just it's not an apparent problem you you know you go drive through iowa and you see all these green fields of corn and it's hard to understand um that 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 land is basically like sand and um it has been depleted of of of, of all of its um, nutrients, and we're dumping them on in, in in trucks. That's an example of something that is not sustainable for reasons we're going to get into in a second. Um, well, why don't why don't we talk about them now? Actually, um, the the um, plants um, take um, you know minerals and um, chemicals and basic elements in order to grow. And there's three in particular that, that most plants need um, in abundance. And they're so common that they have a special designation um, of letters, NPK, you'll see all the time. And if you buy a bag of fertilizer, there's always three numbers that are in dashes. It'll, you know, be like 1 17 3 or 0 0 5. Those numbers correspond to nitrogen, phosphorus, and um potassium um, K of course the, the elemental s- uh, letter f- representing potassium is K so um, n for nitrogen P for potassium and K for um, or, 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 or P for phosphorus and K for potassium um, and um, commonly the potassium is referred to as potash so when you're in um, gardening or farming circles and you hear people talk about potash they're talking about potassium. Um, now, nitrogen is the big one. And nitrogen is really sort of interesting because 70% or so of the air that you breathe is made up of nitrogen. But nitrogen um, has to be in a form that plants can take. And not all plants can take Nitrogen out of the air. There are a few that do, and we use those in regenerative um, farming and regenerative gardening. Um, Legumes do it, and things like um, clover. So, um, one of the ancient techniques of replenishing soil is to plant clover. And then, um, and then you let that grow, and then you let sheep or something in there, and they love eating up the clover, and they poop all over the field, and lo and behold, a year later, your field has been regenerated and is ready for another round of, of crops. Um, so, and they would often t- call this keeping, a, you know, having a, a field go fallow. Um, and there's, and I'm oversimplifying. There's a lot of different methods for that. Nitrogen is a tricky one because we've actually exceeded. The planet's ability to self-generate nitrogen in forms that the plants can use by a, by a long shot. But um, a few decades ago, there was a process that was invented called the Haber-Bosch process, and I think it's beyond the scope of this podcast to go into it. But it's it's a it's a way that um, nitrogen is generated um, from um with the use of ammonia and it basically depends on fossil fuels and that that's that's one of the the points that i that i want to make um i believe it's made out of natural gas again i don't want to get into the details here because i'm I'm, i haven't brushed up on them but the the important point is that nitrogen is generated by the haber bosch process and um it is unsustainable The, the 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 annual growth rate of the population um, and our need for nitrogen means that we're going to hit a fixed point soon. Now, um, when we're talking about soon, we're often talking about 30, 40, 50 years. Um, and that is an element of, of, of some controversy. You know, it's really hard to fully measure that out. Um, but, but from the natural occurring nitrogen um, on the planet, we've already exceeded the, the ability to come up phosphorus is um is the second one and it's actually the scariest one for me um phosphorus does occur naturally in things like um um well um manure um but um we have exceeded the ability to to feed the world based on just manure now could we switch that around i don't know i don't know the answer to that question but a majority of phosphorus that you get in, and say if you buy some Miracle Grow or you buy a fertilizer, is mined. Um, and there is some controversy as to how big the supply of phosphorus in the world was. In fact, last year there was a new discovery or a new announcement of a discovery of a big um, seam. I don't know what, uh, does phosphorus come in seams? I don't know. Um, um, that is, I think, was in Florida. Um, But we are um, depleting phosphorus um, and the phosphorus that occurs around. I believe China has used up all of its phosphorus. And what's interesting is the majority of phosphorus available on the planet is um, in the country of Morocco. So there is some um, concern that as phosphorus becomes more and more rare that it will create geopolitical tension um, as nations that need phosphorus to... uh, to grow their crops um are increasingly competing for the same dwindling supply so the earth does not have an infinite um, amount, amount of phosphorus phosphorus is not being created by any active um earth um system that i know of um and so phosphorus is one that gives great concern and you know some numbers put it 30 30 years out before we reach major um crisis and the last one um, um potash um, that one is mined also. Um, but as far as I know, there's no real solid concern about depleting the amount of potash, um, on, on the planet. And, um, of the three, it's the one that gets the least attention. Um, but, but, you know, let's be clear when we're mining these things, we have all the externalities of mining. So, so, you know, if you're going to, um, you know, buy fertilizer to dump on your farms, which let's be clear, The vast majority of of um, industrial farms, the vast majority of our food supply comes from industrial fertilizer, which is bought from these from that um, Haber-Bosch process or from mining, Um, it doesn't really come from natural um, um, sources so you're going to have all the externalities that people have to work in mines you're you're going to have to have the roads and the trucks and the and the equipment you're going to have to um, mine it and refine it and bag it and ship it so it has a huge amount of cost and i, I keep belaboring this point because if you if you look at the like the kyoto accords the the number one thing that we as as humanity needs to do, according to governments and according to the, the 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 consensus of the vast majority of scientists, is cut down on our carbon emissions. And the principal carbon emissions come from burning of fossil fuels. So to reduce fossil fuels by by the amount we need to, which is an extraordinary amount, by by twenty thirty, according to the um, Kyoto Accords. So we're talking about um, five and a half years now, um, and and the only way to do that is to vastly um, reduce our use of vehicles everywhere. But so many of these systems, you know, like this, just fertilizer, um, you know, is based on the 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 use of those fossil fuels and if you take the whole cycle you, you know you mine the phosphorus you mine the potash you ship it you know and then it's got to be spread on the fields and that's done with the with a vehicle um it, and, and you just keep going up and up and up the the chain and you've got you've got um motor vehicles burning fossil fuels at every single level of our food production and that is kind of scary Um, The other thing we talk about um, conventional farming or industrial farming is pesticides. Um, And, you know, we have, you know, one of the big um, pushes, at least in the United States, the United States is a little bit different than the European Union, which is a little bit more enlightened about some of these issues. And then you have um, other places like India and China, um, which, you know, uh, have have had a tendency to not be as concerned about um, um, the regulatory environment of, of um, these external costs, but um, pesticides and and particularly getting um, genetically modified um, plants that um, that you can spray um, certain pesticides around that kill all the weeds but leave the corn um, intact. Um, but we are starting to come up with all sorts of adverse effects. Um, I read recently that that particular chemical um, that used in pesticides, like I'm describing, is showing up all over the place, just like, um, just like the so-called forever chemicals that used to be called Teflon, um, um, the, is, showing up just absolutely everywhere. It is penetrated into the rainwater. Um, the mountains have it, it's in every cell of our bodies. It's in every, it's in the, it's, it's everywhere. We, we, and it's not just the, the nonstick, um, stuff. It is, it is a, a mass of these um, plastic chemicals. Um, um, the other problem with conventional farming that makes it unsustainable is the, the bee killers. Um, oftentimes bees are shipped around. So, so bees have a natural cycle that you can um, circumvent if you want to. So, you know, you have hordes and hordes of honeybees that are shipped um, to, into California um, to cover, say, the almond Um, pollination season or for avocado trees and they're moved somewhere else for another season for another season and they're wearing out the colonies that the bees can't can't keep up with this so a lot of our conventional farming basically um is um circumvents the natural life cycle of bees in in a way that is likely unsustainable in the long form conventional farming also has a sustainability problem in terms of terraforming of course, you take, you need um, the if you're if you're if you're doing if you're trying to squeeze as much um, productivity as you can from land, you're going to be using great big um, tractors and other machinery to do your harvesting and to do your um, weeding and to do your planting and all that sort of stuff. Um, so what you need is vast areas of flat um, flat terrain and a place for the tractor to turn around, basically and um so we're oftentimes pushing the edges of the landscape in order to um um get as much farmland and this will oftentimes have the removal of um beneficial natives um you know one of the big ways this impacts is the um local pollinators not the necessarily the honeybees but the local pollinators um are losing their um local bushes and flowers and trees so we're creating an adverse environment in a way that will, that is already coming back to bite us. That when you start losing the local um, birds or the local insects, sometimes there's there are insects that are that need those those predators to keep their populations in check. Things that are adverse to our um, our our vegetables or grains or crops. And so by cre- increasing the amount of farmland as a ratio to the native um, flora and fauna, we are negatively impacting the ecosystem. We're seeing this every year now. Almost every year we see a decline in the number of insects, a decline in the number of birds, a decline in the number of flowering, flowering plants around. And then, um, and then the overuse of water. Of course, um, agriculture is water intensive. And around through the United States in particular, uh, we are depleting the aquifer, and sometimes, as as we get better understanding these aquifers, they don't they don't recharge in a in a year or two. It's not like the rain falls into the aquifer. Sometimes this process takes tens of thousands of years. Um, if you've got a well, you might be drinking water that's been down there for thirty thousand years, and it should give you pause that it might take. Um, an unimaginable amount of time to recharge some of these aquifers. And the, the politics of this in some places in the United States, there are politicians right now making laws where it's illegal to even measure the quantity of of, of, of water. So this is absolutely not sustainable at all. You've got so many, take the Colorado River Basin um, in the West, you've got so much farming taking place that is using up a, 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 deplete, a quickly depleting resource because it just, we, just can't, we just can't go on the, the way we are. It was never designed in a way to ensure that it's sustainable. And of course, the other problem with the water, it's worth mentioning um, to bring everything and tie it all in a tidy bowl, Bo, is you oftentimes get overuse of fertilizers that um, seep into the waterways that run to the ocean, and we have these big dead zones because that nitrogen um, does things like promotes the growth of algaes, Uh, like blue green algae and you're seeing algae blooms all over the place lakes that 20 years ago in the united states were big recreational areas are now toxic um and and because largely of the of the use of pesticides and um and fertilizers that, that have run off um right um the gulf of mexico has a huge dead zone um down by um um, down by Baja California another huge dead zone and they're probably all over the of the world from overuse of fertilizers that wash down the rivers and then kill um, everything in their sight so well it's kind of a bleak picture but um, it, it is the reality of what we have it is limping along right now or, or it's, it's, it's growing but so many of those things that I'm talking about have their natural end because they're not sustainable we can't produce an infinite number of bees it just can't be done so um, we need to figure out how to live with this planet and I think one of the big principles of sustainability for us is rediscovery Um, for most of human history they had to farm in a sustainable way because they had no choice Now, there's historical instances of civilizations collapsing because of overuse of of particular vital resources. Then oftentimes there's a a change that comes around. You have a a drought cycle and their overuse of resources connected with the drought cycle just depletes. And you have mass starvation and and migration because they can no longer feed and um, shelter their population. So. Um, everything changed in World War Two. Actually, um, if you take like a, a view of, of Europe, you had these farms, these estate farms that had been operating sometimes for for thousands of years in the same place. So say, well, well, well how, how did they do that? And they had naturally developed methods of crop rotation and of integrated farming with animals. So um that was a, a a huge principle that a farm and even kind of our our old McDonald's sort of romantic idealization of a farm comes before that World War II era when when you know it, it wasn't just I'm I, you weren't just a cattle rancher or a grass farmer. You did a lot of things. You had your cows, you had your sheep, you had whatever, and you you practiced rotating them around. Um, the different fields you planted different fodder um for the for the animals and the whole system was kind of a a mini ecosystem where you were regenerating that soil to make sure that the next time around you could plant on it the problem with war is that um it's the, the the first problem of having an army is feeding them that comes long before armament And bullets and all that kind of stuff. And so if you're doing large-scale warfare like we um, sort of invented in the the last few decades, um, just prior to that, it just wasn't feasible. But you take the size and scope and scale of a war like World War II, we needed a lot of shelf-stable food. We needed things that could be um, easily harvested, stored, and transported to the troops and so what um, happened in the United States, in Britain, in France, and a lot of these places, is the home office, um, you know, would assign agricultural elements, you know, and there, you know, like there was a, there's a tragedy that's still playing out all these years later in Britain, that they would come to farmers and say, you know, um, we need you to destroy all of your, all of your um, livestock. And I know the one that I'm familiar with is pigs. Um, that we lost a lot of breeding stock and variety, um, and you know, genetic variety is always good in terms of disease resistance of 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 pigs in 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 um, Britain after the war, because they would say you are now raising um um solely wheat. We need we need wheat for our um, soldiers to make food and blah, blah 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 so we want you to coal all of your cows we want you to coal all of your um, all of your pigs and we want you to focus um, solely on that and in return we're gonna give you this big industrial fertilizer so the nations leaned into creating this vast infrastructure to get fertilizer and you know what it worked it, it worked to um, greatly um, increase the um, availability of food while decreasing the overall cost of food, but at a huge price. So I started this little section talking about rediscovery. Um, the, one of the things that is is um, playing into our hands today, one of the things that's really good is our ancestors had already solved most of these problems with um, technology that um, is not as advanced as ours. They knew how to do this and they wrote it down, and it is available to us. Um, so, so we know that we can go back, um, by using uh, by moving away from monoculture, well, you know, where a single farmer grows like one crop, um, having multiple crops as, as, um, as insurance. You know, if your wheat crop fails, your rye. Um, you can eat rye bread. Um, you may not like it as much, but you'd have you'd have multiple different ways, which of course leads to a more varied diet, which is healthier. Um, and of course, um, the 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 animals. Now there is a huge concern among people today: the animal and animal farming is not sustainable, and I agree with that. The way that we are harvesting chickens and pigs and cows and that sort of stuff in the world today is completely upside down. I believe that the better answer is finding a balance between the farms of what the farms can sustain in terms of um, animal agriculture and um, creating those closed loop systems like we used to have. So... So in terms of sustainability, one of the big things that that we look at on our farm is how to integrate technology that is available today, modern research, cutting edge research, especially in in relationship to to climate change, with the methodologies and practices of the past. So the little paragraph I wrote on our website, again, you can check out our um, values at uh, Dabbler Farm Dot org. And this is our value of sustainability. I wrote the methods, practice, and culture of the farm are built around the idea of the continuity of life rather than what resources are able to use up. We eschew the use of non-renewable resources and seek to balance the farm with the surrounding ecosystem, natural environment, and human occupants. So really um, um, to be sustainable means we have to acknowledge that we are here and the indigenous life is here and we are trying to um, grow our, our, our food and supply for our needs like our ancestors have time, um, time moving back to the beginning. Um, so we believe at the highest level, um, the farm can be run um, in, indefinitely, but you have to have um, inputs. There are no perpetual motion machines. Our little farm is three acres and three acres is not enough to be a complete ecosystem. We need inputs. We are burning calories. We are um, not fully recycling um, our own waste. Um, So we need certain inputs. And so the sustainable inputs that we need are feed and hay, we need straw, we need lumber, and we need wood chips basically. And so our goal is to find the most sustainable methods for bringing those in to the farm. Um, in terms of sustainability, one of the things that we're really concerned about is soil depletion. Um, we live in a in, in actually an alluvial plain. Uh, the Willamette Valley um, really is this um, Cascade Valley between, well, between the Cascade Mountains and the Pacific Coast Mountains. And you have the washdown of these old mountain ranges, and of course the um, Pacific Coast Mountains. Um, the Cascade Mountains are um, volcanic in, in nature. So you have uh, magma and other, um, you know, geological forces pushing those mountains up. And then you have um, erosion, which comes down to the valley and brings um, uh, nutrients and and whatever. But, um, you know, that that washing down into the Willamette River and out to the ocean is an ongoing um, problem. So we need to work really hard to, to keep the erosion and capture the water. Uh, this is technically a a rainforest. Um, and what we get is, is I think so far this year from when I started measuring in October, we've had 36 inches of rain. Um, so it's not uncommon for us to get 40 or 50 inches of rain, um, in the, in the wet season, which basically goes from October to about May Um, depending. And then things dry out and it gets really dry. Um, I think the last couple years we've had more than 75 days in a row with no rain at all during the hottest part of the summer. So we're trying to figure out ways to capture the water um, and reuse it without having a constant input. We do have a well um, where we pull um groundwater and you know we're looking at the most water efficient ways we do not open air water everything is on drip lines or small you know small bubblers and that sort of thing. so we're using the least amount of water possible to keep our um our crops um as healthy as we can um we have been spending the last uh, last this last winter ditching um you know we because of that amount of rainfall and the silt. That our our soil silt is really tiny compounds, so it gets to be like like this mud that is um um like nothing else. Um and um so you know we're trying to drain the fields and put the water and 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 capture it down. Um and then of course um composting is the way we try to achieve sustainability. Nothing organic ever leaves the farm. Um, you know, we separate every, everything that, 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 that is, um, um, organic. The one exception right now is, um, 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 waste bone. Um, now we try not to eat that much meat, but we do have in the, in the, in the future to turn that into, um, um, bone meal. Um, and there's some other things that you can do with it, but that's just A bridge too far, um. Currently, but um. You know, any excess meat um doesn't get composted; it gets fed to the chickens, who will eat it all up, and then um the cycle continues. Um, one of the main things we do um here, I've I've talked a lot about fertilizer. We um are weaning ourselves off of industrial fertilizer. I still have some around, and um, there's no point in throwing it away. I use it very sparingly. We have rabbits um and our rabbits are kept um primarily the reason we have rabbits is they are our little poop machines um rabbit uh, manure is this amazing wonderful thing it is outright straight out of the bunny it is 2% nitrogen 1% phosphorus and 1% p- potassium um and um, those little bunnies they, they they eat their food and eat their hay, and then they they, they poop that stuff out. And um, we have the so they we capture their their droppings in um, straw or wood shavings. And we can put that directly onto beds. It isn't what they would call hot. If you have chicken manure or cow manure or anything else, um, it, you can burn your crops with it um, because of high nitrogen levels and other problems. And so you have to you have to go through a second round of composting. But with the rabbits, you do not. So our farm is bunny powered right now. How much? Um, how many bunnies do you need? I don't know. We're trying to figure that out right now. We have fourteen um, little poopers um, out there, and um, they're they're um, they're uh, an integral part of, of our of our farm and of our farm family. Um, the question always comes up: Do we eat them? And the answer is we can. Um, they're to keep a healthy herd up. You is it is it a herd is it a herd of I don't know a coven a murder I don't know. What's, uh, um, uh, to keep to keep um, a healthy population of, of rabbits. Um, like all, you know, any animal in time they get, they get sick and they get old. So you do need to call them, but it's not something we do very often. So nothing, um, goes to waste. So we would, um, we would, um, reuse, reuse them, but it is not a principal form of calories for us. They're here because they poop. All right. I, I, in the interest of full transparency, we still have unsustainable practices. Um, I mentioned I still have some industrial fertilizer around. Um, sometimes, because some of the methods we use, um, one here that I'm going to be doing again is we plant directly into hay bales. And to do that, um, or straw bales, to do that you have to treat the straw with um, urea, with basically pure nitrogen. Um and so um you know I have a big bag of nitrogen out there. Um calcium is a particular problem here when I I do a lot of small space and container gardening and containers tend to leach calcium um and so does our soil type. So we need input um calcium that I don't have a uh, direct um natural resource for. Um topsoil we brought in a lot of topsoil. Um it's still available around here and it's fairly inexpensive. But from a global perspective, that is not a sustainable practice. And I still have a tractor. We have a very small tractor. It is a diesel tractor. Um, just buying electrical tractors in in the United States where I'm at, is just not feasible, um, for, for cost and other reasons. And, um, we're using it mostly to do the terraforming that we need to do right now to make the gland a little bit more sustainable in the long run. Uh, we use electricity. Uh, we are still connected to the grid, and you know, the principal amount of electricity in the valley comes from burning coal. And although it does come from some clean resources, also, um, I do, I did join a co op, so I buy my electricity from a co op rather than from uh, a profit oriented company. And then, um, um we do, um, uh have a well we're very water wise with our with our well but we do have an electrical pump so we do need electricity it is our goal to move to solar um we've we've, we've looked at that it's just um cost prohibitive it'd probably with our farming it'd be about forty thousand dollars um to get us completely off the grid but you know that is only for for the problem um although i do believe in um solar panels the 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 truth of the matter if we're going to be completely honest with ourselves they have to be manufactured we have not yet devised any real way to recycle those things so we're we're pushing down the line um um another big problem of a lot of excess materials and they do deplete over time the expected lifespan of solar panels about 25 years so it is something i um want to move to um, as long as we're talking about things we want to move to, we're also looking at heat pumps in the future, um, um, uh, and other ways, you know, to cool and heat the house. Um, so that kind of gives a, a roadmap. Um, as we look down the line, we're looking to better water capture to soil, to composting toilets and, and recapturing of bones that I mentioned. And then we're, we're really looking to balance with the local ecosystem, um, we've done a little bit of research and connected people in the local, um, bee community looking to attract as many of the local pollinators. Um, in the future, we would like to keep honeybees, um, on the farm, but, um, it's too much for us to do right now and just doing everything we can to bring in native plants. The way our farm is situated is about the first acre or so is where we grow our crops. And we have two, um, acres in the back that are, um, really uh reserved for uh we'll we'll be getting some ruminants here in a couple years um to graze that and um you know to keep the weeds and and things down but also you know we're we're planning and building hedgerows out there we're bringing in native trees native bushes native flowers um to create an an ecosystem where the majority of our property is um is actually set aside for those things that are that are beneficial to us and that's where sort of a permaculture type environment comes in. Well, so that's our um, that's my discussion on um, sustainability and what we're trying to do on the farm and how we're trying to address that. It is a huge problem and it might be the problem in the world today. And so um, um, one of our goals is to do what we can in order to make our farm as um, as sustainable as possible. It occurred to me several years ago, there is no way to buy your way into sustainability. No matter how much money you have, no matter how many green products, um, consumption is the problem, but we have to consume to live. So we can't just stop doing that. Um, but if we can find ways to consume those things that are, and, and then take our, our waste from consumption, our our overage, our trash, and 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 using materials and 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 um, resources that are recaptured, not just thrown into the ranf- landfill, then we're making progress. All right, thanks again for um, listening. Uh, someday I'll start advertising these things. Um, um, again, this is part of our our values. You can check those out at dabblerfarm.org. Uh, we have a blog. Um, Kimmy and I write um, quite often, and we're trying to um, uh, push our kids to who are also doing very interesting things in this space. Uh, we're trying to put up some more helpful information for others who are thinking about doing the same sort of thing that uh, we are, or just general gardening and um, farming information. And, um, you know, a big, um, big warm hug to all those who are trying to do their part in terms of um, what's going on in the world today. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you soon on the interwebs.